Welcome to Raise and Deploy, a podcast dedicated to international investments with insights from the world's leading investment professionals from New York to Timbuktu. Each episode, we bring on a new guest to discuss the trials and tribulations that occur when seeking substantial returns in foreign markets. We cover the full life cycle of an investment, from the moment you contemplate raising capital offshore to the final check cashed on the returns. In this episode, we bring on my close friend, Dan Rummery, partner and co-founder of Brunel, a boutique capital advisory firm based in LATAM. He discusses his background and how he got started in the international investing world. We explore the changing tides of investing in Brazil over the last 15 years and his personal investments along with all of the other locales outside of Brazil that seem ripe for investment. Let's get into it. Dan, welcome to the podcast. Hey. Welcome, welcome. Uh, so, Dan, we've known each other for 10 years, uh, but I don't really know what happened before that. So tell me a little bit about how you got your start into financial markets and, you know, you know so take me take me uh, right to the beginning. Yeah, sure. So it's a little bit of a, a crazy story. I ended up leaving, leaving university in 2003 and, uh, you know, didn't have the financial resources like a lot of my friends to go on gap years. So I needed to find a job. And, uh, you know, I was reasonably good at rugby and I had the opportunity to move to Switzerland to start playing rugby for a minor team, which paid a little bit of money and look for a job. And luckily, uh, one of the gentlemen that was one of the senior players in the the club was kind enough to offer me um, a job in, in his company, which was called Tara Capital. That was a placement agent, uh, mostly for hedge funds at the time. At that stage, I just didn't know, even know what a hedge fund was, but uh, I quickly learned. Uh, he, I think he saw something in me, you know, which was the ability to be a good sales guy. And, uh, you know, very quickly with a lot of hard work and a lot of good timing, uh, I ended up being pretty successful. That's great. What a story. I love, I love hearing stories like that. So talk to me about the next couple of stages that you had uh within um within tara capital like you know how did you you know make the most of that opportunity it comes back the first part was as i said it comes back to timing so this was the the bull market of hedge funds back in the day of 2004 5 and 6 where the champagne was flowing and money was flowing into funds left right and center pre-financial crisis so you know of course you needed to have good products which we had uh you needed to have a good sales team which i quickly learned and became um, and, and, and with those two things combined, I was pretty successful and able to place roughly around $650 million in, in, in that wow. period into to a few different funds. How, can you tell me a little bit more about the funds that you were investing from? Was it, it, yeah, so, so most of the, actually, this, this comes into why Brazil, even though, in fact, we didn't arrive in Brazil until many years later. So at that stage, the first few funds were mostly European long short equity funds. Uh, and a couple of global macro funds that we were raising money for, mixture of US, European-based. And then in 2006, remembering I wasn't a partner of this firm, the guys um, selected a fund from Brazil, which was called Vision Brazil, a fund run run by Amari Jr. Uh, And I was very um, active in in the fundraising there. I was able to raise, of that 650 that I raised, probably $300 million to, to Vision. So, um, and that gave me my first interaction with Brazil. Actually, I came down to Brazil in 2007 uh, with my boss and, and, and spent a week here and, and 
kind of fell in love with the country uh, when I was down here. Did you know that was the only business activity at that stage? But it was it was a, a great interaction and, and eye opener to see the opportunities down here. Great, and so that brings you to the uh, to Tara. What, what happened at Tara? Like, why are you still not there? Yeah, so uh, the, you know, again, comes back to the opportunities and, and, and timing. So the guys ended up selling. Uh, the partners ended up selling Tara at the end of two thousand seven, early two thousand and eight, uh, and you know, they came to me and said, "We'd like to start a new company, and we'll offer you a small percentage of the new company." And I said, "You know, guys, that's not for me. I think I can do this by myself." Little did I know that in six months' time was going to be the worst financial crisis in the in the history of uh, you know, or, or at least in the, in the long term history since nineteen you know nineteen thirty six, um, and um, was uh, you know was was pretty naive doing that. So I ended up starting my own company, which is called Ridgeway Capital, in January two thousand and eight, and we had a, a good six months up until September September uh, two thousand and eight. And then the, the Lehman Brothers, uh, the financial crisis came and, and the financial markets, particularly for the types of managers we were able to source at that stage, would tended to be small to medium-sized managers, really closed down. So we worked, in hindsight, we should have stopped working and gone on, gone on holiday to, uh, to the beach for, for two years. But that obviously didn't happen. So we probably worked harder in that two-year period than, than I've ever worked in my life. You know, it was our company. It was a new company. We were surviving by the, the skin of our teeth. And it was difficult. You know, it was it was really hard to fundraise during that period. Um, but I reacted to, you know, I had a, a conversation with a, a large uh, pension fund from the Netherlands. And uh, they explained to me exact type of product that they were looking at. And luckily, my broker dealer, whose office I was in New York at the time, you know, just happened to have uh, a product of, of that nature, uh, which was a fund called Waterfall. Uh, as a structured credit fund, and and the stars aligned, and and this pension fund then ended up investing half a billion dollars into into the, wow. into this fund manager. Um, so the stars really did align, and that you know created a a windfall that allowed us to take the pressure off and um, allowed me, which I'll get into, to to take the step to move to Brazil. Perfect, perfect segue. You did it for me. Uh, why Brazil? Like like so, you told me like obviously. You know, back, back in your Tara Capital days, you had your first kind of uh, foray into Brazil, your first trip to Brazil. Uh, give me some of the reasons why you, you wanted to get back so eagerly. Yeah, so I, I think um, this was now, now we're skipping forward to kind of 2012, start of 2013. So um, I decided to come down to Brazil. I, I was still partner of Ridgeway, Ridgeway Capital, the, the firm which we started in 2008, co-founder. Came down to Brazil, and, and and what I found was there was a big disconnect between uh, local fund managers, very established fund managers, running billions of dollars in assets with large teams, and having the inability to raise capital internationally. On the reverse side, what happens in the U.S. if you're a small placement agent, which Ridgeway was, we had ten employees, is that if you start growing funds and being successful in a fundraise, you ended up cannibalizing your business because at some stage, the managers don't want to pay you 2% or 25% of their fees to take them from Park Avenue to Fifth Avenue. So there's a there's a, a cannibalism that happens of, of, of your managers. So you're always trying to find new managers. Got it. And now you've got 
all your investors investing in the same managers they don't need to invest into an, the same another kind of carbon copy of what you've already invested in so you like you said you cannibalize stuff really interesting and you saw obviously brazil as i mean was it like literally shooting fish in a barrel there was no one in your kind of your ilk and your pedigree raising uh funds at, you know for these types of managers yeah, exactly that. So it, it, the case being a different case. So where where we'd seen a shift to uh, over the, the the financial crisis, where people want to invest in big managers with big teams with AUM with five ten year track records, none of the there's, there was a plethora of managers in Brazil with with that type of profile, and they were not being serviced to attract international capital. They had a lot of capital locally onshore in Brazil in Reais, but they were not accessing international capital. Uh, at all or very well so eventually after some tough discussions with my with my ex-partner of, of of ridgeway i uh, ended up selling my stake and and in, in the business and moving to brazil uh wow. to start the uh brazilian brunel what is my brunel partners which is a dedicated placement agent for latin american fund managers which is exactly where I kind of um, um, met you. Uh, no, it, it's an incredible story. So what was the first set of conversations like with those investors, right? So because you hadn't sold the Brazilian funds since Tara Capital, right? So you've now in Brazil, you're now going mm -hmm. back to your investors that you've been selling probably domestic credit products to in the past. Exactly. And you're yeah. bringing these, these um, nuanced niche managers in an emerging market. And let's be honest, it was barely emerging back then i mean now we can call it an emerging market but brazil 10 years ago was not where it is today so how did those conversations uh, go in the first instance well actually so the if you were yes or no so I, probably it was easier to sell brazil 10 years ago than it is to sell today that's the reality okay so and that maybe is also a reflection of, of, of what happened down here. But if you look at when I first moved down here um, and you have the Economist magazine, which is very famous from 2013, which is the year I moved here, you'll see the, the Christ statue in Rio in a takeoff mode. And it was, I think the title of the Economist in that time was Brazil takes off. And there was a huge flow of capital from international markets into the region. So whilst it doesn't look so obvious now, at that time, there was a lot of demand for Brazilian opportunities and there was no one really servicing those investors so a lot of the endowments were increasing allocation here a lot of the family offices were starting to invest and and so you know there was a there was a there was a for me it was a pretty clear opportunity that there needed to be a a professional service to to, to help these fund managers so you bring these managers which are the managers that you uh, selected how did you select those managers was it kind of like just pick one or did, no, you know, so were you very specific? About, no, so it comes back to what I said before. So we were at that stage because I had already been doing this for by then 10 years. And so I already had a track record. I had, you know, a, a lot of investors I was working with so I could be selective. And so I was really looking for that, that, that niche where again, the manager is not a new manager. He's established manager with team track records, AUM performance, uh, but only has local capital. And so we can then go in what we don't want and we still to this day don't want is we don't want a new fund manager so we don't we don't we're not interested in you know new managers that are just popping up they need to have those criteria. need to be and, and and i was very lucky to stumble across our you know one of our major partners which is jive jive um uh in 2012 
and you know helped um, started engaging with them, started roadshowing with them, and was able to help raise their first fund, which they they raised in 2015. And I've been on your roadshows. You know, it's incredible what you can do in Sao Paulo and obviously offshore as well. You know, we did yeah. 30 meetings with you in three days. It was it was one of the most intense. And what I got from that, and I tell everyone that I you know that I meet um, how impressed I am with the um, the the population of Brazil. It's young. It's humble. They're well educated. They speak perfect English, mm-hmm. uh, but it's just the way that they are attacking these problems. I going back to what you said though, which was really interesting, is they did need some um, polishing, right, and some professionalism. Sure. Uh, and they and it's just because they haven't really been doing it for that long. It's it's just that simple, right? So professional services firms, I can see them doing incredibly well in in markets like Brazil as mm-hmm. these established managers become ready to be shown internationally uh what else do you love about um brazil in particular we talked a lot about obviously the um the opportunity from a financial standpoint and the returns but what else yeah. do you like about brazil as a region you know there was just the, the start of really the, the 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 venture capital and um investment universe happening down here being involved in capital markets i was very lucky because i was being able to being, you know, have great flow and, and see a lot of access to these companies. So I was even able to get, you know, and, and be the first investor in Banco Neon, uh, which is now a, you know, $2 billion uh, company, uh, which I subsequently sold my stake in and had a, you know, very successful exit. Um, other companies like ZDog, which was a, a pets retailer, which I invested in, which we sold to, to pets, uh, a listed company here recently, and many other examples where, just being in the market down here in a, in a population of 200 million plus people, um, you know, one of the largest economies in the world and, and, and being able to have a, you know, open mind to looking at opportunities has just been phenomenal in terms of, of deal flow. Yeah, that, that, that's so, so important. I mean, obviously with a younger population all getting online, phones in their pocket, internet, telecommunications improving, you know, you've got a real uh, impressive and fast uh, you know, sales network now. You got, you know, you can. You're a huge, hungry consumer, which is, which is obviously, you know, ideal for for anyone going into those types of spaces. Uh, we talked a little bit about um, kind of the uh, the opportunity in Brazil, but let's go down a, a little bit more into like kind of the numbers, like uh, because obviously one of the things that we see is you're bringing investors overseas into sure. Brazil for oversized returns. Can you give me some of the idea on the actual returns that that is kind of commensurate with investing in brazil in particular yeah so i think i think it's it really depends per asset class but the general feeling is that you know people are looking for a significant spread over what they can get in uh in europe or us in terms of returns investors do not come to brazil to get paid the same returns that they would expect in the us or, or europe that has been a challenge over the years because whilst the returns are historically very good in brl in, in local currency can you give me a percentage can you give me a percentage like what you're mean, it, it really it really depends but i mean even in terms of credit deals because interest rates are so high here running at 14 percent, and whilst they were less over the last few years you know you're looking at kind of high yield deals in the mid-20s we work a lot with um an asset class here in Brazil called precatorials, which is something we could go into, but it's legal claims against the government. 
Yeah, give, give me yeah, give me a little bit more of a definition on, on what a precatorius is. Yeah, so precatorius is basically um, a a legal claim against the federal or, or state government in Brazil. Can be for many different reasons. The 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 asset becomes what's called a precatorial once uh, has been a, a fully won and awarded case in the court of law in Brazil. So it basically um, becomes a, a credit against the federal government or the state, individual states, where you are due to receive uh, the capital within a two-year period. So the government has to pay within a two-year period. And there's a very active market in Brazil uh, for buying these precatorials in the secondary market. I think there was maybe 80 billion reais worth of wow. precatorials settled last year. And, um, you know, we've been extremely active in that space. And returns there... Uh, are somewhere between thirty to forty percent in local currency. But the so the the thing though that comes out of that is why not invest in Brazil if you're getting thirty to forty percent returns? Why isn't everyone investing in Brazil and why do we only have sixty billion in FDI going in there instead of one hundred and sixty? Yeah. So 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 I think what we've seen is the, the people that have made a lot of money in for foreign investors over the last six or seven years in Brazil has been the more special opportunities and niche investment investment managers. So people doing precatorials, people doing high yield um, or, or kind of more structured deals. The private equity markets in Brazil generally in dollars have not performed well. They've underperformed the U.S. So if you compare your average private equity fund when I say private equity, I mean kind of traditional private equity, buying companies, growing companies, and then reselling. If you could compare them to what you could have got in the U.S. during the same period, you're better off investing in the U.S. The returns in dollars in the U.S. is much better. So um, that's why and, and, and most of the private equity money in the world invests in this kind of buyout or growth strategy, which has not performed well in Brazil. The other major factor is the currency so i think the currency is what has killed or does kill most deals if you you know if you look at deals in brl terms it can be very attractive if you are willing to leave the currency unhedged uh then then great unfortunately 90 percent of our investors are not willing to run that risk and you know want to have a hedge strategy so Finding a suitable hedge strategy which can reduce the cost and the volatility, and get you know the the, the spread between the BRL and the US dollar uh, returns as close as possible is a game changer, right? So this is this is you know probably the the, the first question that people have is on the current and, and rightly so. The opportunity set is in Brazil. There's there's opportunities in agri, venture, real estate, precatorials. But the currency often kills the transactions. Really interesting. Yeah, obviously, you know that's our our uh, kind of reason for for hanging out. That was that was one of the things that we wanted to go out there and solve. One of the things that I've noticed, especially with um, uh, the Brazilian managers that we've worked with, is that they want to take their um, products overseas and they're willing to try new things. They're really to tr try mm -hmm. to, to to you know to to give insights to their fund. Uh, we talked a little bit about your personal investments. Uh, what's exciting you uh, right now? Maybe we go first, we go 
fund managers or strategies that you're excited about? You already mentioned a couple of kind of nuances there. But let's yeah, start with the funds and then we'll move into your personal investments. Yeah, so I think funds-wise, you know, I think funds-wise for Brazil in the next 12 to 18 months, I think we've got to be, again, in the special situations or distress space because if you can generate private equity-type returns, so 25 30% or 30% plus returns without any kind of exit risk or depending in the growth of GDP uh, or performance risk of the asset or operating risk, uh, and you're looking at self-liquidating assets which have kind of a credit profile and you have you know shorter duration, I don't see why you really want to be going into private equity, at least in the mid-market. I think on venture, because on venture, obviously, if you get a home run, like our friends at Newbank or the investment I did at Neon or many other stories here in Brazil, then you can speak about 50, 60, 100x type returns. That's something different as a portfolio, as a, you know, a portfolio investment. But I think, you know, generating 25, 30% returns in, in credit type investments uh, is, 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 is the way forward in the next 12 to 18 months. Okay, so we talked about um, you know, the funds that you like. You obviously yeah. segued a little bit into the VC um, market there. Um, we talked about the the, the huge audience um, they the um, these uh, these banks, these new banks have, and these new retail stores have, an online um, presence that these stores can get. Um, what industries are exciting you from a portfolio company standpoint? So, um, on the investment standpoint, I. You know, one of the things one of the things we didn't cover, which is important to, to, to always go back to, and what has been a big benefit for um, Brazil through this cycle uh, is the agri business. So agri agri business in Brazil is roughly 28, 30 percent of the GDP. So it's a pretty significant and important business. Brazil is the largest uh, exporter now of soya. I think it's about to overtake the U.S. in terms of cotton. Um, you know, it's 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 vast and meat uh, as well right you have uh you have obviously jbs a huge um yeah meat, meat uh, and, and, and a lot of also commodities and then we can go into you know the available land which is not you know not amazon still the available natural water which is becoming more and more important so anything which such as agri uh is quite interesting either technology or um you know other businesses which are related to agri so we're looking at a few things there uh, we're looking at a, a trading company, uh, which is a, uh, a specialist grains. So they actually uh, focused on sesame sesame seeds and other specialist grains, which are uh, the additional harvest that soya soya producers can can plant uh, to replenish the soil and make the soil that they have uh, be used in in off cycles. So it's uh, an interesting business and been growing, you know, very quickly. So agriculture's blowing up i had no idea i know that you've uh obviously i know agriculture is important i didn't know that there's all these different kind of nuanced businesses and technology businesses that can come out of the back of that. that's really interesting what else what else are you looking at so one of the other sectors that we we invested in uh probably 12 months ago uh is is well the business is actually a fantasy sports business as it stands today but the play is actually on the opening up of the gambling market in brazil so if you follow what happened in the US, particularly with a, with a company called um, DraftKings, I don't know if you've ever heard of that business, but they were started as a fantasy sports 
league competition business with the mindset that certain states which have taken place legalize gambling in that space and they convert their fantasy sports players into gamblers so hey the Batika, which is the name of the company has the same mindset they have two million or close to two million active fantasy sports players on their fantasy league in brazil which is football or soccer or whatever you whichever part of the world you're in um and um business has been going great they offer prizes so you you can if your team is the best team on a weekly basis you can win a holiday or you can win a car or you can so in essence people are already gambling but they're not actually gambling in the way which the government doesn't allow it's prize based um and the rules or the the, the, the legal situation in brazil is likely to change next year so this company has been growing great has done a couple of rounds this year backed by some very serious venture capital players and you know is very well positioned to attack what i think is considered as the the new frontier on, on gambling markets with the game the population of 200 million people uh football soccer being a huge sport here but also other sports are, are meaningful and uh you know it's it's very exciting so we're, we're, we're pretty excited by that company and i've already seen some significant markups on on the name so we talked about brazil a lot um tell me about the investors that you're speaking to in you know any other regions that they're looking at outside of brazil um that's exciting to you yeah so i i think brazil is not perfect i'm not gonna try to sit here and say everything works perfectly but when you think about the acronym that was created in 2008 by goldman sachs which is the the BRICS. And you look at it and when i speak to investors we're in a pretty sorry state in terms of that acronym and being able to invest in other regions so if you look at you know some of those letters there so you look at russia russia is obviously uninvestable right now they've also made eastern europe unfortunately given what's going on uh, uninvestable in my opinion and in a lot of investors opinions whether that comes back in the next few years who knows china also at least in private markets, I think became for almost all of my investors that I speak to uninvestable. Uh, what happened in the education space last year uh, was really concerning to people putting money into private private industries there and into certain sectors that the government could could take over. And then, of course, you have India. India is a huge country, a billion dollars, billion dollar plus population, uh, has a lot of good things going for it but I feel like it's even more complex than Brazil. So Brazil, you know, is, is standing out as one of the few major emerging markets with 200 plus people population. 30% of the GDP comes from agriculture, has huge oil reserves, um, has, you know, a lot of the things that are needed to, to be successful. So, you know, I think as, as investors think about allocating to emerging markets, Brazil is one of the few names out there with, of size that that is investable. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And one of the things that I see with just the way that I work with the with the clients, open banking is a key thing. Obviously, Brazil is really focused on the open banking, the challenger banks popping up, the new banks of the world, uh, and the Bank of Neons. Look, th that's allowing people to invest and move money around and build wealth and 
set up corporate accounts and you know actually transact and 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 do business right i mean and open up business accounts right so i think that's a big part and i know indian banking is improving but you know pakistan for example is is really struggling with that uh obviously with you know the sanctions on um russia they're not going to be you're not going to be able to get money in and out of the country so i think that's a really important thing to take into consideration is which countries are able to accept international investment and can that investor get that money out easily right so forget about the currency risk and the you know the the hedging uh, requirements and the fluctuations in the currency just actually physically moving the funds around the world can be difficult uh, so what i've heard is that uh brick doesn't work as an acronym we need to find a new acronym uh what are you what countries are you putting in so brazil stays in what else are you going to put in there so i think we probably need to, uh, need to add another one for latin america which i think would be mexico even though um you know the the, the recent government has, has has been not been um that um that 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 loved and 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 performing that well i think mexico being close to the us large population second largest population in the region uh is uh is is well positioned to to benefit over the longer term and then i think you know if you're looking at towards asia uh i think you could look at some of the countries benefiting from potentially money coming out of china and moving towards their you know their manufacturing abilities places like vietnam and thailand and, and indonesia I, I believe will benefit from inward flows and we've seen investors uh picking up investments into those regions that said these still remain all small markets so it's it's you know it's it's tough to do big tickets in those those regions but there's there's plenty of opportunities there Right, so we don't we, we don't have an acronym. I, I don't know if I can make a word out of BIM. Well, there's more vowels in there. Yeah, there, there there's maybe that there's a curveball um, which uh, I'd fry there, and, and it's just something we're, we're monitoring at Brunel because we are Brazil focused, but we do cover LATAM, and I think that curveball is Venezuela. So it's way too early. We're not investing there yet. We're not raising money for anything from there. But we have started a few discussions and, and someone you should probably include in your future podcasts with um, some Venezuelan uh, private equity uh, managers that, you know, they have if they can if they can ease the restrictions there and um, and and get a few of their ducks in line, they have everything in place to to really grow that economy. I mean, I think they're producing 700,000 barrels of oil a day at the moment. They could easily, with not that much investment, given that it's mostly onshore oil, grow that to three and a half, four billion barrels, which is I think where Brazil is at at the moment. And uh, you know that alone would give so much fuel to that, literally fuel to that market. That um, that I think you know there will be certain industries related to the oil and gas uh, exploration, servicing businesses, uh, other industries that will be very well position to profit and grow uh significantly but like i said for not for the time being it's still risk off there but i think it's a good market to monitor and be aware of if you're looking at and prepared to, to to look at kind of more real frontier emerging markets so what i'm hearing is invest all your money in venezuela <laughs> yeah, <very long laughs> Yeah, I think the bonds are trading at nine cents. There are some investors of ours that are also, you know, buying buying them as well, and you know, see that as a good risk reward trade. Uh, so I, I, you know, I, we like to monitor those things. 
Argentina, also interesting, but Argentina is, is much more complex. Venezuela is as well, but Venezuela has, you know, one really important asset, which is the largest oil proven oil reserves in the world. Love it. This is so helpful. Um, you know, what I love about uh, talking to people like yourselves that have this expertise and you're living in the in, in the actual now, right? You're you're buried in Sao Paulo, you get to travel around, you're you know, you're in the melting pot that is uh, Sao Paulo, and um, you know, you really have that uh, incredible um unrivaled experience right you know you, you, you're, you're living and breathing uh, latin america excellent that's really exciting i think it's a perfect way to to end the podcast uh that was, uh, that was awesome learning, learning everything great. great thanks guys thanks for tuning in to raise and deploy the international investing podcast brought to you by diago the go-to fx platform for global investors we hope that you enjoyed this episode and are looking forward to the next one. If you or anyone else you know has experience in investing internationally and would like to be our next guest, please reach out to us at jb at diaglo.com.